Section B and Chapter 24 of History of Philosophy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Section B. Scholastic Philosophy. The centuries which elapsed between the death of St. Augustine and the foundation of the Carolingian schools were centuries of barbarian invasion and barbarian rule. They witnessed the dismemberment of the Roman Empire, the disappearance of the last vestiges of Roman civilization in Europe, and the substitution of a civilization of a new order. During the lifetime of St. Augustine, the West Goths under Alaric besieged and sacked Rome in 410. Nineteen years later, the Vandals, under Genseric, overran Numidia and Mauritania and laid siege to Hippo. Meanwhile, the Vandals from the Upper Rhine had invaded Gaul, ancient Germany and Burgundy in 407. These invaders were followed, in 443, by the Burgundians, who settled on the Upper Rhone and on the Saone. Later, in 451, came the Huns under Attila, and last of all, the Franks from the Lower Rhine, who toward the end of the 5th century spread over Gaul, destroying every trace of civilization that had survived the invasion and occupation of France by the Vandals and the Burgundians. In the same century, the Angles and Saxons took possession of Britain, and the Visigoths established barbarian rule in Spain. In the 6th and 7th centuries, the Heruli and the East Goths and the Lombards destroyed whatever remained of Roman civilization in northern Italy. We can scarcely realize the desolation that during those centuries reigned throughout what had been the Roman Empire. The condition of France is vividly portrayed by the words of St. Gregory of Tours, who, towards the end of the 6th century, wrote, Vae diebus nostris quia periet studium literarum a nobis. And by the verdict of the Benedictine authors of L'Histoire littéraire de la France, that the 8th century was the darkest, the most ignorant, the most barbarous that France had ever seen. The utter disregard for learning which characterised those times may be inferred from the fact that Ambrose of Hautepeur, who died in 778, was forced to invoke the authority of Pope Stephen III in defence of the study of the scriptures. Inquiunt multi, non est tempus, jam nunc deserendi superscripturus. Although surrounded by all the external signs and conditions of dissolution and decay, the Church remained true to her mission of moral and intellectual enlightenment, drawing the nations to her by the very grandeur of her confidence in her mission of peace, and by the sheer force of her obstinate belief in her own ability to lift the new peoples to a higher spiritual and intellectual life. It was these traits in the character of the Church that especially attracted the barbarian kings, but, though towards the end of the 5th century Clovis became a Christian, it was not until the beginning of the 9th century that the efforts of the Church to reconquer the countries of Europe to civilization began to show visible results. The Merovingian kings, the do-nothing kings, as they were styled, could scarcely be called civilised. 
Even Charlemagne, who was the third of the Carolingian dynasty, could hardly write his name. Still, Charles, illiterate as he was, realised the necessity of reviving culture and learning throughout his empire. Inspired by this noble purpose, he summoned the church to his aid, invited learned ecclesiastics to his court, and founded schools which became centres of the new intellectual movement in different parts of Europe. To this movement, scholastic philosophy owes its origin. The scholastic movement, therefore, which dated from the foundation of the Carolingian schools, was from the outset a reaction against the intellectual stupor of the times. The movement was at first confined merely to the restoration of the study of grammar and rhetoric. Later on, dialectic assumed in the schools more importance than it had at first possessed, while an impulse to philosophical speculation was given by the Neoplatonism of Eregina and other Irish teachers. Thus, during the 9th and 10th centuries, there were many attempts at forming a system of philosophy, but it was not until the 11th century when the problem of universals gave the greatest impulse to the growth of the scholastic dialectic that these attempts were concentrated into a definite movement. Towards the end of the 12th century, the physical and metaphysical writings of Aristotle became known to the schoolmen and caused that great outburst of intellectual activity which made the 13th century the golden age of scholasticism. The middle of the 14th century marks the beginning of the decadent movement, which in the following century ended in the downfall of the scholastic system. We have, therefore, the following division. First period. Scotus Erigena to Russellin, from the beginning of the 9th century to the 11th, the period of beginnings. Second period, Russellin to Alexander of Hales, from the rise of the problem of universals to the introduction of the works of Aristotle. 1050 to 1200, the period of growth. Third period, Alexander of Hales to Ockham, 1200 to 1300, the period of perfection. Fourth period, from the birth of Ockham to the taking of Constantinople, 1300 to 1453, the period of decay. Sources. The neglect of the study of the sources of scholastic philosophy on the part of some of its historians and the apparently inexcusable misrepresentation on the part of others render it imperatively necessary that we keep constantly at hand the primary sources, the works of the schoolmen themselves. It is from these works, and from these alone, that the student will learn the true meaning and value of scholastic philosophy. Many of the writings of the first schoolmen are of easy access, being included in Means Patrologia Latina. Additional primary sources, Beitrage Zur Geschichte der Philosophie des Mittelalters, Munster, 1891, are at present being published by Baumke and others. The works of the scholastics after the time of St. Bernard are not included in Means Patrology. They are, however, published in separate editions, to which attention will be called. With regard to secondary authorities, the list given by Weber, page 9 of the English translation, will be found complete with the exception of a recent work, De Wolf's Histoire de la philosophie médiévale, Louvain, 1900, 
which is a valuable aid to the study of this period. De Wolf's work does not, however, supersede Stockel's Geschichte der Philosophie des Mittelalters, which is still the standard work of reference, although since its publication, 1864 to 1866, numerous important documents bearing on the history of scholasticism have been published. It is well for the student to remember that, although Euro is referred to as an authority, he owns his distinction as a historian to the care with which he has studied and edited manuscript sources, rather than to the accuracy of his appreciations. Valuable biographical material is to be found in Wetzer and Welt's Kirchlexikon, published in Freiburg in 1886-1901. Section First Period of Scholasticism Erigena to Rosalind, 800-1050 The Period of Beginnings The Carolingian Schools In the chronicles and biographies of the Merovingian Epoch, mention is made of a scholar Palatina at the court of Dagobert and of other Merovingian monarchs. It is clear, however, that these schools were institutions for the training of court guards, bellator, in the art of war and the manners of the court. Before the time of Charlemagne, the only thing that the Frank was taught was how to fight. The schools which Charlemagne founded were intended to teach the Frank to respect knowledge as well as valour. They were literary schools, in which at first the programme was very elementary, the nobles and clerics who attended being taught merely the arts of reading and writing and the rudiments of grammar. The project of forming these schools seems to have suggested itself to Charlemagne during his sojourn in Italy, where the traditional learning was in part preserved by masters, who taught the grammar of Priscian and Donatus, and read the works of Virgil, Cicero, St Augustine, Butheus, and Cassiodorus. In the famous Capitulari of 787, and in other enactments, Charles recommended the foundation of the diocesan and monastic schools throughout the empire, having previously founded the Scola Palatina at his own court, and given to the Abbey of Fulda the Capitulari empowering the abbot to establish a school at that monastery. But although it was Italy that inspired Charles with the idea of founding schools throughout the empire, it was Ireland that sent him the masters who were to impart the new learning. Ireland, which had never formed part of the Roman Empire, and which had escaped the invasions of the barbarians, had preserved since the days of its conversion to Christianity the tradition of ancient learning a knowledge of Greek and Latin which was now to astonish continental Europe. Alcuin, although an Englishman, is justly considered a representative of Irish learning. With him is associated Clement of Ireland, who assisted in the work of founding the palace school. Unfortunately, history has not preserved the names of Clement's fellow countrymen, who, during the reign of Charles and throughout the ninth century, were found in every cathedral and monastery of the empire, as well as at the court of the Frankish kings, and were so identified with the new intellectual movement that the teaching of the newly founded schools was characterised as Irish learning. Eric of Auxerre, middle of the ninth century, writing to Charles the Bold, testifies to the nationality of many of these pioneers. Quid hibernum memorum contipto pelagi discrimine pene totum cum gregi 
philosophorum ad litera nostra migrantem. We find a mention of a Hibernicus exul, author of a poem in praise of Charles the Great of Donegal, teacher at Pavia, of another, or possibly the same, Donegal, who wrote to Charlemagne, explaining the eclipse of the sun in 810, and of a Sedulius Scotus, sometimes identified with the Irish poet Sedulius, who was one of the authors most widely read throughout the early Middle Ages. Ireland has, therefore, every claim to be considered the Ionia of scholastic philosophy. After the death of Charles and the subsequent division of the empire, a reaction set in against the schools in several parts of the empire. Lupus Servetus, the celebrated abbot of Ferrier, complains of the opposition on the part of the ignorant vulgar who, if they detect any fault in the representatives of the new learning, attribute it not to human weakness, but to some quality inherent in the studies themselves. There were some also who, according to Amalarius of Metz, reproved the reading even of the scriptures. These reactionaries, however, were silenced by the voice of Eugenius II, who encouraged the foundation of schools and spread of the new learning. Supported by the highest authority in the church, the movement continued under the successors of Charlemagne, so that during the 9th and 10th centuries there sprang up besides the palace school, which seems to have accompanied the Frankish court from place to place, the no less celebrated cathedral and monastic schools of Fulda in Germany and of Utrecht, Liège, Tournai and Saint-Laurent in the Low Countries. It was in France that the scholastic movement found its first home, and it was in that country also that, after the temporary opposition of the reactionary alarmists, the most important schools were founded, namely at Tours, Rheims, Léon, Auxerre and Chartres. These homes of the new learning were the scene of the first crude attempts of scholastic speculation. As at a later time, the University of Paris was the scene of the last and most brilliant triumphs of scholasticism. It would be a mistake to imagine that philosophy was taught in the schools at the beginning. The curriculum of studies at first consisted of the seven liberal arts, that is to say, the trivium, grammar, rhetoric and dialectic, and the quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy and music. Little by little, however, the programme was extended. Around the problems of dialectic were grouped problems of metaphysics and psychology, and gradually philosophy became part of the programme of the schools. The Magister Scoli, or Scholasticus, as the teacher was called, expounded the text of the author. This was the method employed, whether the subject was grammar or dialectic, or any other of the seven branches. The Library of Schools Of Aristotle's works, the first schoolmen possessed the Di Interpretione, and, in the 10th century, the Categoriae in Bothius's translation. It was only in the 12th century that the first book of the Analytica Priora, the Tropica and the Dophisticus Elencis became known, and it was not until the 13th century that the physical, psychological and metaphysical treaties were introduced into the schools. These facts explain why, during the first and second periods of the scholastic movement, Philosophy was almost altogether occupied with logical problems.
Secondly, of Plato's dialogues, the Timaeus was known to the Irish monks, possibly in the original. It was known on the continent in the translation made in the 5th century by Chalcidius. The works of St. Augustine and the Neoplatonists were used as sources from which the first schoolmen derived their knowledge of Platonism. Third, of the commentators of Aristotle, only Porphyry, whose Isagoge circulated among the schoolmen in Butheus's translation, and Butheus, who commented on the Categoriae and De Interpretione, were known to the schoolmen of the first period. Fourth, translations and compilations by Marius Victorinus, 4th century, and Macrobius, 5th century, Claudianus Mamertus and Donatus were read and expounded in the schools. Fifth, the Neoplatonic commentaries of Apuleius and Trismegistus were also used. Sixth, of Cicero's works, the rhetorical and dialectical treatises such as the Topica, De Officius, etc., were known at least in part. Seneca's De Beneficius and Lucretius De Rerum Natura were also read. Seventh, in addition to the genuine works of St. Augustine, the pseudo-Augustinian treatises Categoriae Decem Principia Dialecticae Contra Quinque Ereses and De Spiritu et Anima were studied by the first scholastics. Eighth, finally, the library of the first schoolmen included the works of Clement of Alexandria and of Origen in Latin translations, and the Latin version of Pseudo-Dionysus by Scotus Erigena, as well as the commentaries and original works of Martianus Capella, Cassiodorus and Butheus. Chapter 24. First Masters of the Schools. Alcuin, 735-804, educated in the famous school of York, appeared at the court of Charlemagne in 781, and there for eight years taught grammar and dialectic in the palace school. Later he retired to the Abbey of Tours, where he founded a school, which was soon to eclipse the palace school itself. Alcuin was distinguished chiefly as a grammarian. His contributions to dialectic are of secondary importance, and his psychological treatise, De Anime Ratione, merely reproduces the doctrines of St. Augustine. His importance in the history of scholastic philosophy is due to the prominent part which he took in the establishment of the first schools. Fridagis, who was probably a fellow countryman of Alcuin, taught at the palace school about the beginning of the 9th century. After Alcuin's death, he became abbot of the monastery of Tours. Taking up the problem of the nature of darkness, he proved in a treatise, De Nihilio et Tenebris, that both nothing and darkness are real beings. On this point, at least, Fridagis is a realist. He does not, however, discuss the general question of the objective reality of universal ideas. With Fridagis is associated the unknown author of the treatise entitled Dicta Candida de Imagine Dei, the work is virtually an attempt at finding in man the image of the Trinity. In spirit and in method, it is Augustinian. Rahabanus Maurus, 784, 
to 856, is one of the most remarkable of the first masters of the schools. He was born at Mainz in the year 784. At the age of 18 he became a Benedictine monk in the monastery of Fulda. Thence he went to Tours, where for six years he studied under Alcuin. From Tours he returned to Fulda in order to assume the office of teacher. According to Trittenheim, Rahabanos and his new learning were regarded with suspicion by Ratgarus, abbot of the monastery of Fulda. Rahabanus, however, overcame the opposition of the reactionaries. He was made abbot of Fulda and later became bishop of Mainz. He died in the year 856. Like Alcuin and Fridagius, Rahabanus is of importance rather as a teacher and inaugurator of the new learning than as an independent philosopher. It was he who introduced the learning of the schools into eastern Germany. In his work De Universo, he treats in 22 books a variety of subjects, God, the angels, biblical personages, ecclesiastical institutions, astronomy, chronology, philosophy, poetry, medicine, agriculture, military tactics and language. The work is a veritable encyclopedia of knowledge. Except in the portions referring to chronology and grammar, it is merely a resume of the traditional teaching. Historical position. These first masters of the schools belong with Isidore of Seville and the Venerable Bede to the encyclopedists of the period of transition between patristic philosophy and the philosophy of the Middle Ages. They rendered inestimable service to the scholastic movement by their personal influence as teachers, while by their writings they summarised and helped to popularise the dogmatic and exegetical teachings of the Fathers. The encyclopaedic scope of their writings is evidence of a condition of affairs similar to that which existed in the first schools of Greek philosophy. Just as the early Greek philosophers wrote Perifusios, the first schoolmen wrote De Universo. There is, however, this difference, that while the philosophical movement in the first schools of Greece was independent of the past, the philosophy of these first schoolmen was virtually an epitome of the doctrines of the fathers. Erigena was the first of the schoolmen to attempt an independent system of philosophical speculation. With Erigena, therefore, the first period of scholastic philosophy begins. End of chapter 24